How do you tell a genuine from a fake? Did you know that there are 45 million, 45 million fake £1 coins uh, in circulation currently in the UK? That's approximately 3% uh, of all, all £1 coins are actually fakes. Uh, so probably in this room we've probably got at least two or three uh, somewhere in our, our different wallets and purses. Uh, so much so the government's actually going to replace the pound coin uh, pretty soon to get rid of all the fakes um, that are there. And uh, because of this, newspapers have issued all sorts of ways to tell the difference. You can go online, you can Google and find out how to tell a genuine pound coin uh, from a fake. Because the problem is that actually we often accept the fake, don't we? Uh, I know I've, I've looked at pound coins and been a little bit dubious as to they, whether they're really uh, real pound coins. But we just sort of accept them, don't we? We don't want to pass them back and say, oh, I'm really sorry, I think you've given me a fake uh, pound coin. So we're just too kind, aren't we, sometimes? We, we sort of accept the fake um, when we should really just be accepting the genuine. And that was the problem in 2 John. That's the problem they were having, that they were accepting uh, fake people, if you like, coming through. They weren't checking the doctrine of the, the missionaries that they were supporting that were coming through and lodging at their houses. Um, but this evening, uh, in 3 John, we have the flip side of the coin. Uh, we have the other extreme, if you like. Um, it's more the problem of Scottish banknotes. Uh, that we have in the UK. Uh, if you ever had a problem with uh, <laughs> Scottish banknotes, it sounds like a few people have. Uh, they are legal tender. In fact, that's the only time you hear that phrase, isn't it? Legal tender with Scottish mm -hmm. banknotes. They are legal tender, but people want to reject them. They're, oh, no, can't accept a, a, a Scottish note. Well, they're, they're actually real. They're genuine. And uh, we should be accepting them, but we refuse to accept the genuine. So in 2 John, the problem was that they were accepting the fake. And here in 3 John, the problem is that they're refusing uh, to accept the genuine. Who is John writing to? Well, John here is not writing to a church. He's writing to an individual. And he's writing to him to help sort out uh, this problem that's going on in the church. Why an individual rather than a church? Uh, we'll find out a bit later on. But this man is Gaius. And our first point uh, is godly Gaius and the brothers. Godly Gaius and the brothers. Have a look at verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So there are several Gaiuses in the Bible, uh, two, one in the book of Acts, one in the book of Romans. But apparently this was the most common name in the whole of the Roman Empire. Uh, so it would be a bit like Chris or Steve, you know, you always end up with it, or Dave, uh, you always end up with a few of them. Uh, so we're not entirely sure exactly who he is, uh, but we're told all that we need to know. Uh, John loves him, uh, and he loves him in the truth. That's something a bit deeper than just sort of likes him. It's a real gospel love. Uh, he cares about him deeply. And actually, John is praying for him. Uh, you see that in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. What John is praying, it sounds as though uh, Gaius is having a few health problems. And John is praying that the way that his soul is, the way that he is doing spiritually, will be matched by how he's doing physically. He wants those two things to match up. So he's saying, as you're doing really well uh, spiritually, I pray that you might do uh, really well physically. And we can be a little bit embarrassed by this, can't we, sometimes in Scripture? We think, oh, is it spiritual, really, to pray for someone's good health? But think about it. The Bible is concerned with our physical bodies. We're made as physical human beings. So, for example, Paul tells Timothy uh, to drink some wine, doesn't he, to stop his frequent stomach problems, his frequent sicknesses, so that he can go on with ministry. It is a physical problem that he's got. So God is not unconcerned about our health. It is okay to pray uh, about our health and other people's health. But God doesn't promise good health. 
It's not one of those promises that we can sort of name it and claim it. Uh, and so, well, you've promised me good health, God. But God is concerned with our health. Uh, but John is, is rejoicing because of Gaius. Uh, he is happy that he is going well. He says in, in verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. See there, John is rejoicing because he's still going in the truth. It seems as though there's been a close relationship. He talks about him like his children, his child. And he's saying he's still going uh, in the truth. And it can be such a great encouragement, can't it, if you haven't heard from someone in a while who's a Christian, to find out that they're still going in the gospel. So often it's discouragements, isn't it, that we hear people are no longer walking with Christ. But it's so encouraging uh, when you hear that people are. Uh, A few years ago, I... um, got an email, it was a Facebook message uh, from a guy in China and uh, he was on my corridor in my first year at university and uh, he had made a profession of faith, he started off being involved with the Jehovah's Witnesses and I'd sort of gone and chatted to him and said actually you know, this isn't, this isn't true what they're telling you he started looking at the Bible, he started going to church to become a Christian, but then obviously he went off to China after his degree and you'd he, never hear from them again and unfortunately Facebook wasn't really big before uh, when I was at university, I, I am that old, uh, for some of you, um, but uh, just lost touch. And I got this uh, Facebook message from him a couple of years ago. It said, hello, Chris, this is Anthony, your corridor mate in Lancaster, year one. Remember, you guide me to Christ. Hi, Chris, I'm working in my family business in China. I go to church about 30 minutes drive. I serve in the youth church. Uh, well, life here is very different. We have a small Christian group in our company and read the Bible together weekly. Thank God he is doing great things in China. Keep in touch and God bless Anthony. And that sort of thing just warms your heart, doesn't it? Not only is he sort of still going, but he's involved with this Bible study group in his company. You think, wow, what must be going on in China? Uh, Oh, it's only a small group in my company uh, that meet together weekly for Bible study. But so encouraging, isn't it, to hear that people are still walking in the truth. And that must be how John felt. He's heard now of Gaius. He's heard that he's still walking in the truth. He's still being faithful. Uh, He's still going on. And it makes him rejoice. It makes him happy. Uh, it makes him joyful. So Gaius is, is there. He's walking in the truth. And that should ring bells, shouldn't it, from 2 John, if you were here. Uh, for that one, the idea of walking in truth and love. Well, he is here embodying that. He's walking in truth. He's embodying uh, 2 John. But he's also embodying 2 John uh, because of verses 5 and 6. Have a look at those. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So not only is he walking in truth, like in 2 John, he's walking in love as well. He's loving the brothers. Gaius has been helping these travelling missionaries that have been going from town to town. If you remember from 2 John, uh, they were in that context. There were missionaries that were travelling from place to place, depending <coughs> on people for their food and lodgings to go and preach the gospel in the next town. And Gaius has been one of these people who's been accepting these brothers, these travelling uh, missionaries in. And uh, it's not just uh, sort of you know having a visiting speak around for a tea. This is actually giving them board and lodgings, and perhaps actually giving them money to to get to the next place that they're going to go to. And Gaius has been doing that really, really well. He's really been taking it to heart. Uh, Gaius has been sending it away. He says they're in a manner worthy of God. That's very generous, isn't it? 
We see gospel generosity. We see the love that God has put in his heart flowing over to these brothers. And um, that's just embodying what we saw in 2 John. He's he's really living uh, that out. But he's needed to do that. He's needed to be so generous and loving to these brothers uh, because of what we find out in verse 7. It says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. What it's saying there is as they've gone, they've not been asking for money from the people that they've been preaching to. That's basically the idea. So in some of Paul's letters, he talks about the fact that people have been going out and demanding money uh, of the people that they've been preaching to. But what he's saying there is that they're not uh, accepting money from the Gentiles. They're not accepting money uh, from the world. And what he's really saying is something pretty obvious for us in our age, that the world is not going to fund gospel ministry. The world's not going to give you money towards sharing the gospel. It didn't then. It doesn't now. Um, they, um, the world will give for lots of things, won't it, for charity. Uh, so uh, I know someone who's giving half of, the, half of their will, which is quite a lot of money, to dolphins. Uh, that's what they decide to give for. You always get stuff on the television, don't you? You give to rainforest. You give to all sorts of things. But you never see adverts unless you watch the God's channels. Um, asking you... <laughs> just so you thought you do see adverts, don't you? Um, you... you um, you don't see adverts really for giving for, for Christian things, do you? On, on not, certainly not on ITV or, or any of those channels. Because the world doesn't give to gospel ministry. Uh, I mean, think only a few years ago, uh, there was an issue, wasn't there, with an exclusive brethren church on the south coast uh, who were threatened to have their charitable status revoked. They wouldn't even be able to uh, accept money as a charity. They'd have to pay tax uh, as, a, as a company. And it's just a reminder that at least eventually they, it, it was all settled and it was fine. But it's a reminder that actually we shouldn't expect the world to be funding our ministry. We shouldn't expect them to be giving as an easy time. It's amazing, isn't it, really, that we get gift aid, if you think, for, for our giving. That's really a hangover from a bygone age, really, isn't it? And uh, it's wonderful while we have it. Let's use it while we have it. But we shouldn't expect, in a way, the world to, to be wanting to fund gospel ministry. I wouldn't be surprised if that goes in the next few years. But what that does mean is that if the world isn't going to give to gospel ministry, if the world isn't going to give to get the gospel out there, then it means that us as Christians, we need to be extra generous with gospel causes. And that's exactly where uh, John goes. Have a look at verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. What he's saying there is that the world will not help gospel ministry, so we must. We should support those who minister. We should support them. Uh, And they support us, don't they, as they uh, share the gospel uh, with people as the church grows. They're working with us. That's what it's saying there, isn't it? That we're fellow workers with them. And here, like I say, what what it meant to support them was it was putting them up in your house. It was uh, giving them food. It was giving them lodgings. It was sending them on their way. I mean, literally, that word support is to take in. It's the idea of being a host of of hospitality. Not just giving them the odd meal. It's talking about giving them their bread and butter, if you like. Uh, So supporting them is is by sharing what they had with them. Uh, I don't think you're particularly talking... You can sort of apply it directly to to visiting speakers. I do think it's good if we can give them a meal. But it's talking about something bigger. It's talking about a bigger commitment than just having the odd visiting speaker around. Uh, So what is it about then, really... And it's about showing support for workers elsewhere. It would be really easy to go straight to, well, you should support your own uh, gospel worker. Um, but I think really in the context, this is talking about 
<coughs> other people. These people who are um, being funded by Gaius are strangers to him. He doesn't know who they are. So it's being generous with those who are working elsewhere. Not absolutely everyone. You know, actually, 2 John reminded us that actually we need to be discerning with who we support and how we support them. So I would recommend, for example, if you get an email, as I often do, from Nigeria saying that you can support... I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that <clears throat> this was obliging you to support those uh, ministries. Um, in fact, we have the luxury of being quite strategic, don't we, with our giving, with our support. Because uh, if you think about Gaius' day, they would turn up perhaps in the middle of the night wanting a bed. You'd have to make a decision then and there. Are you going to support them or are you not going to support them? We actually have time, don't we, to think through who we support, how we support them. Uh, but we should do it. It shouldn't be an excuse to not do it just because they're not turning up at the door. Actually, we need to be supporting uh, workers elsewhere. So that's what Gaius is doing. He's been a real model example of that. But not everybody was doing it. And our second point is about dirty diatrophies and himself. Um, I think these would be great band names if you ever want to start a band. Um, So let's have a look at uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes, you can see here, is is not showing hospitality. It seems as though he's a sort of rebel church leader. He's set himself up in authority. And Diotrephes even thinks he's above the Apostle John. That's how arrogant this man is. Uh, Do you see that there in in verse 9? He does not acknowledge our authority. Our authority, John speaking there, for the apostles uh, is what he's saying. Um, So really, this guy's all about position. He's all about the, the place. He's all about the... Uh, the status. He's even refused to have John's letter read in the church. Can you imagine that? You've got a letter from the apostle. And he's like, oh no, I'm not, not going to bother with that. Let's just put that straight in the bin. Which is probably why John here has written to an individual rather than to the church. Uh, because it's going to go straight to him rather than going through uh, diatrophies. But he has a massively overinflated sense of his own importance, doesn't he? Who's he picking a fight with? He's picking a fight with the apostle John. With Christ's apostles. Probably at this point in John's life, he's the last one standing. He's the last alive. He's representing the apostles on earth. And here is Diotrephes thinking that he can just brush him aside and not read his letters. So you might think that sounds quite crazy. You might think, why on earth would you pick a fight with an apostle, given all the authority that Christ gave them, given the fact that they write scripture? But actually, we can do this quite easily, can't we? Uh, We do it when we sit above scripture. When we look at what scripture says and we say, well... Uh, we're going to decide what's right. Or the world does it. Think about a newspaper. Newspapers are full of people picking fights with the apostles, if you think about it. The apostles said this, but we say this. And the church can be full of budding diatrophies, if that's a word. Um, but it, it's whenever we start to think, well, I'll decide what I will believe and won't believe. I'm not going to look at the Bible. Well, if the Bible says this, well, I don't think that can be right, so I'm just going to pick my own beliefs. Really, we're just doing the same as diatrophies. We're setting ourselves up above the Apostle John. We're setting ourselves up above the Apostles. And also, if, if we're here this evening and we haven't uh, yet come to a faith in Christ, we're not yet putting our trust in Jesus, if you think about it, actually, that, that's really what we might be doing as well. I mean, people who have read the Bible have seen it and say, well, I don't believe it. 
Really what you're saying is that you know better than the apostles. They lived with Jesus for three years. Uh, They were there when Jesus died, when he rose from the dead. So you can disagree with Christians about things, but if you disagree with the Bible, really what you're doing is picking a fight with the apostles, uh, same as Diotrephes is doing. Actually, don't they know better than we do? Weren't they actually in a better position to write about who Jesus is? So when we say that we know better, really, we're we're putting ourselves uh, above the, uh, the apostles. But that's not all that Diotrephes is doing. He's going further. He's talking wicked nonsense, it says there, doesn't it? Wicked nonsense against us. So what he's doing is he's telling lies about John and about other faithful Christians. He's spreading rumours about them. He's causing problems for them. And he's refusing to take in any missionaries. So these people who are coming through, he's just getting rid of all of them. No, you can't stay at my house. You can't come to our church. Just go away. So he's hindering the gospel. He's not giving that gospel generosity that's needed. And if people do try and help these travelling missionaries, well, he kicks them out. If you look there, you see uh, at the uh, end of verse 10. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So this guy is on a real power trip, uh, isn't he? Kicking people out for helping missionaries. So think about where the opposition here is coming from, though. So it sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? But if you think about it, the opposition is coming from inside the church. Diotrephes isn't some pagan sort of stepping in and, and, and causing problems. Actually, who is doing the lying? Who is doing the hindering of the ministry? It's not the world here. It's actually someone within the church. And I think that's always harder to take, isn't it? Uh, as a Christian, I've found over the years, uh, opposition from the Christian fold always feels harder. Because it's unexpected, isn't it? You sort of expect it from the world. You expect it if Diotrephes was the leader of the council and was sort of kicking out missionaries. But when he's the leader of the church and he's kicking out missionaries, uh, that sounds pretty hard. So it's unexpected. And you sort of find it hard to believe, don't we, that someone could do that. But that still happens today, doesn't it? We still find leaders of churches who love themselves and love their position more than they love God. Now, we need to ask serious questions about whether Diotrephes is a Christian at all. But it's worth noting that he is the leader of a church and he has a following of people who are willing to do uh, what he says. So there's a big problem here, uh, opposition from inside the church. So what is John going to do? Well, he's going to pay him a visit. Uh, so you see there at the beginning of verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Word if there might be a bit stronger about me when I come, uh, I will I'll speak to him. But he, he's being kind to Gaius at least. He's not getting Gaius to sort it out. Uh, he's saying, I'm going to come myself and uh, talk to him. And that's what he's going to do. He's not going to sink to Dutch Fees' level, so he's not writing lies, he's not spreading rumours, he's not, you know, well, you're not accepting our missionaries, so we're not going to accept your missionaries. He's going to go there and he's going to speak the truth. That's what he's going to do. Call attention uh, to what he is doing, and he'll expose him with the truth. Again, it's a matter of walking in the truth. Because actually, these are difficult situations, aren't they, that we're talking about here, that we face, they can be diplomatically difficult and politically difficult but it really matters how you deal with that situation as well as that you deal with it if we sink to the level of people who attack us then actually we're, we're not speaking we're not walking in the truth are we we're not walking in love so if john is going to come and sort it out if john is going to come and expose this man for what he is why is john telling gaius well uh, Gaius, I think we can take it that Gaius is not at Diotrephes' church. Reasons I think that is that 
you think he would have noticed that this was happening if he's such a faithful guy. Uh, you know, he probably have spotted if there was this crazy leader. Um, also, if he was at Dutch Jesus Church, he has been accepted in missionaries, so he would have been put out of the church. So it might be to warn a nearby church leader, you know, beware of this guy, but we're not told that Gaius is a, a leader. So it might be for another reason. Well, I think there is another reason, and we find it out in our last point, uh, an equally good band name, uh, Delivery Boy Demetrius, and a good example. Have a look at verse 11. Brothers, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. What we see here is that actually everybody imitates somebody, don't they? Sorry to use my son in two illustrations in a day, but um, I find with Calvin, uh, he especially he imitates uh, what I say. It can be quite embarrassing. So sometimes you know, I'll be working upstairs and Caroline will shout and say, you know, uh, come down. Oh, I'll just be a minute. And uh, I found Calvin actually doing that this week. <laughs> so Caroline said, you know, you finished playing your I'll be there in a minute. And I could hear my own voice, my own intonation uh, in his speech. So everybody copies, everybody imitates, but it's who we copy that matters. So who does John want Gaius to copy? Well, John does not want Gaius to imitate, to copy Diotrephes. Uh, it might be tempting to go that way. You know, it's easier not to, to give hospitality. It's easier not to sort of have somebody turn up at your house in the middle of the night. Oh, I've heard you taking missionaries. It might be a, uh, easier ditching the apostles, you know, we'll, we'll get more people in that way or might be able to just make up our own rules. But it's a reminder here that what Diotrephes is doing is evil. He's saying really what he's doing is evil. That's in the contents, that must be what he's talking about. And in John's words, he's saying that he's not seen God because he's doing evil. He's not living in the way that he should be. And John desperately wants uh, Gaius not to go the same way uh, as Diotrephes. He doesn't want him to imitate him because he's evil. So what does he want Gaius to imitate? Well, he wants him to imitate those who do good. In other words, not the fakes, not the people who are setting themselves up just for the position, just for the power. He wants him to imitate the people who are teaching the right thing. So not teaching salvation by works or not teaching uh, that you can just make up your own doctrine. He wants to make sure that he's imitating the real deal. And as we saw last time, actually, the real deal, one of the ways of seeing it is that actually those Christians work for the spiritual good of others. So they're wonderful examples to follow. The real deal, if we're Christians, we work for the spiritual good of others. So what can we learn from what he's saying? Well, we too should imitate what is good. Uh, and I think by that he means people. So it can be hard, can't it, to imitate people. We don't want to turn into sort of Christian clones of other people. But we do need to imitate what is good. And that's one of the amaz amazing things that we have in church, isn't it? We get examples to follow. Uh, it's a lot harder if you sit at home and just listen to internet sermons. Because actually you don't get to see the person. You don't get to see them live out their life. You don't get to see them uh, live uh, the example. So, for example, um, I've read uh, John Piper's book on marriage. And I found it a very good book. Recommend it. Um, but I haven't seen what John Piper's like as a husband. I can't do that. I live too far away. I can't see how he treats his wife. I can't see how he acts as a father in his family. So I can read his book, but that doesn't really tell me. It doesn't give me the uh, um, example to follow. I can't imitate him in the same way. So actually, we need to be around real Christians. We need to be involved in each other's lives so that we can imitate us. 
not not just gets a sort of disembodied set of speakers to, to give us talks, but actually we need people. God gives us people. That's the gifts that Christ gives uh, to his church in Ephesians. And that's not the only place we're taught this sort of thing. So I put a couple of verses on the back of your sheet. So Hebrews 13, uh, verse 7. Says, remember those, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So it's saying something bigger than just, you know, listen to their preaching. Or 1 Corinthians 4 verses 15 and 16. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Paul is saying, look at my life, copy me. And it's not just copy his teaching, it's copy his life. So he's giving them these examples so that they uh, are to copy. But like I say, it's not uh, Christian cloning. We're not to sort of all start wearing the same colour shirts and, you know, start listening all to the same sort of music and things like that. We're to imitate the faith of those people. We're to imitate their attitude to the gospel. And that's part of discipleship that we're talking about this morning, learning uh, what it's like to be a Christian, learning from other people's faith. So who is... Uh, Who has John got in mind as he writes to Gaius? Well, we see that in verse 12. Demetrius. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. Who is Demetrius? Well, again, we're not entirely sure. There is another Demetrius in the Bible, but he started a riot against Paul. So it's probably not that Demetrius. Wouldn't rule it out, but it's probably not. It's more likely to be one of these travelling missionaries that we've been talking about. And this one is delivering a letter en route as he travels across the country. But why is he holding up Demetrius as an example? Well, uh, he's going to be able to learn from Demetrius as he stays with Gaius. Gaius is going to be putting him up in his house. And he's saying here, this guy, Demetrius, is definitely the real deal. Everybody says so. Even the truth, the truth speaks for itself is basically what that phrase that uh, means there about the, the truth it's, and from the truth itself. He doesn't need anybody to say it. It's sort of self-evident when you meet him. And John agrees with him too. He's saying we there on behalf of the apostles. He's saying we the apostles think he's the real deal. You can learn from this guy. So he's given him the opportunity to learn from what is good. From Demetrius, this missionary who's going to be staying at his house. But is there anything we can learn from that? Unfortunately we can't put up Demetrius at our house. But I think what we can learn from it is that we can learn from those whom we support. And we should aim to see them as much as we can to benefit from their ministry. Real living relationships with real, genuine, real deal, going for it Christians. Uh, I remember uh, a few years ago, just after Caroline and I got married, we uh, had a a guy from Northern Ireland stay at our house. He was doing the mission uh, at the University of Cumbria, which bizarrely is in Lancashire, uh, most of it. But uh, he stayed at our house for a week, a few few months after we got married. And it was such a privilege to have this man staying at our house. Uh, he was a real godly example. It's just been wonder- It was wonderful just to have a week with him and just to learn from his faith. And, and he thought that we were doing him a favour uh, by putting him up in our, our house and giving him meals. But actually, I think we got far more out of him staying at our house uh, than he got from eating our food, even though Caroline was cooking, uh, not me. Um, but it's a reminder that we can we can learn from other people, from their ministries, by being generous with our homes, being generous with our lives and sharing uh, time with people. Actually, we can, we can benefit more than they benefit from getting a meal or, or getting somewhere to stay. 
It's actually a wonderful way that God set us up. It's sort of interdependency that we can have and enjoy. So we too can learn from those who we support. We can learn from the way that they live out their lives. So how does John conclude his letter? Well, similar to, uh, to John, he will visit. Have a look at verses three to 15, uh, 13 to 15. Sorry. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. So here we have a similar ending to 2 John. Uh, but here actually he uses a very, very strange term really for the Bible to refer to other Christians. He calls them as friends. The only other time that's used is in John's Gospel when Jesus refers to the disciples uh, as his friends. But it's a wonderful way of referring to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it reminds us that this letter is broader than we at first think. You might think it's one guy, John, writing to one guy, uh, Gaius. But actually saying, well, actually all the friends greet you and you go and greet all the friends. There's a broadness to this now. Uh, John is concerned with the welfare of the other people uh, that he uh, knows. And people <coughs> who he has got with him are concerned about Gaius' welfare as well. So what implications can we, we take from that? Uh, well, we too should treat one another as friends. We can be uh, friends together in the gospel. Uh, it's a sort of warmness to their relationship that they have. And it's a friendliness that they have in the gospel. And we too can, can learn from that as well. So what have we, we learned from 3 John? Well, we've unpacked as we've gone along, haven't we? We're not to put ourselves above the apostles uh, and just decide what we want to believe. We're to support those who are in ministry uh, as much as we can. And we're to imitate them and those like them and enjoy a friendly relationship with them. But what about when you combine it with two John? What difference does that make to, to put the two together, as Don Carson told me that you had to do? Um, it turns it into quite a difficult tightrope, doesn't it, to walk? Uh, we're to reject the false, but we're to love and support those who are genuine. We're to be discerning, but we're not to be isolationist. So it means that we're going to need to be careful, aren't we, not to be duped by fakes, uh, the spiritual equivalent of those dodgy pound coins, uh, but it means that actually we need to be not overzealous shopkeepers who reject the good. Actually, when we have the good, when we have the genuine, we need to make sure that we're working to support and care for those people, to help them uh, as they share the gospel uh, across the globe. So really, we need a lot of wisdom, don't we, uh, to know the genuine from the fake. So let's pray that God would give us that wisdom now as we uh, come before him in prayer. Let's pray.